Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture. Michael Hamflot and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also the Raw Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Oh! Pay-per-views, Premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick uh, to review this week's Dynamite, a show that was a bit like the uh, Grand Old Duke of York. When it was up, it was up. When it was down, it was down. <laughs> Shut up, man. You are the worst person alive. Honestly, one of the worst people I've ever met in my entire life. You're not wrong. That's the worst <laughs> thing about you. You're lovable. You're a lovable idiot. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even give him rogue, just idiot, just a lovable idiot. Yeah, it's a fair, uh, fair assessment. This was like, like this had the. T- I would say at the moment, for all the various skills they've got, maybe the two best wrestlers in the world promoting a sixty-minute Ironman match. That's so cool, and there was loads of them, and loads of it, and loads of exhibitions of why they're all those things. And you're like, yeah, this is the best when it's the best. And then some other stuff was on this show. <laughs> it was not so good, Al. Some other stuff was on the show, but oh my god. I've got two of my Mount Rushmore's cooking. Yeah. Two literal goatards cooking. <laughs> oh, my God. I like the fact that often we come in, you know, very keen to talk about AEW, especially Dynamite, obviously, and we'll come in and be like, right, we're not only going to talk about it for uh, for our review, but this is the catalyst for a roundtable later on. And mm. it is today, just not something that we really want to really get into. Yeah. You'll probably guess what it is Yeah, as we get to it on this, and it'll be out later on today, What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, right, let's start at the beginning of the show, because it opened with the world champion, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, taking on Konosuke Takeshita, of course, in that world title eliminator. If Takeshita wins, he gets a title match next week. Uh, and the good guy, as evidenced by large parts of this show that Maxwell is, he offers Takeshita a handshake to, to start off. And Takeshita immediately gets kicked, obviously, by Maxwell, but soon turns it around. Uh, corner punches a jumping knee, but MJF pulls the ref in front of him and then goes after the arm of Takeshita, which would form the story of this match, basically. Uh, Takeshita eventually fights back. Perfect-looking brain buster. MJF kicks out. So Takeshita does his best. Eddie Guerrero tribute going up top. Uh, huge frog splash gets another near fall. Uh, then Takeshita went for a moonsault but got crotched. MJF went for a back suplex off the top, uh, but Takeshita fought back and hit his home run lariat off the top rope. 
MGF landed on his feet. I sense the first of many. Oh, my God. Yep. Mm. Uh, MGF got sent to the outside. Takesh to hit him with a somersault dive. MGF gets back in, shoves the ref, and as Takesh just climbing between the ropes, he kicks the ropes to give to, to give uh, Kanosuke a low blow and again take over and target that bad arm. Uh, they trade strikes. Takesh just tries for a Hurricane Rana, but MGF counters into a power bomb on his knee that he then subsequently sells. And I do hope he's genuinely all right for the pay per view because he was uh, strapping it up later on, of course. Mark. And uh, <laughs> he uh, runs into a blue thunderbomb. Takeshita, after a near fall, gets an, a pump knee. Um, but MJF gets to the ropes. Takeshita goes for the Senton Atomico. MJF, as he has done numerous times throughout this, puts him in the salt of the earth. Uh, but then he repositions and really cranks back on it to get the submission victory. Post-match, MJF gets the beautiful diamond ring from the ref. Shoves him out of the way, clocks to Keshta, busts him open, and Danielson has to run down to make the save. But it's all a little bit too little too late as to Keshta's left in a pool of his own blood. A tremendous opener. One of my favorite things about AEW, and there are loads, one of my favorite things is the range of this promotion. The match, the matchups that you don't expect to see, that very few bookers in North American tea have been bold enough to actually make. And this was a thrilling collision of styles and philosophies. It's been awesome watching Takeshita work these like strong style adjacent matches, particularly with their John Moxley on Rampage last year. That was his peak, mm. I think. But the best thing about AEW is that you get these stylistic matchups, and MGF was a perfect opponent for Takeshita here because working, albeit with advanced athleticism and you know some actual strong style esque bombs. Having a proper classical North American TV heel and MJF work over to Keshta in like a more like a hybrid of a TV North American match and to Keshta's style of choice. He's got such inordinate sympathy that it worked beautifully mm-hmm. here. The drama was out the ass. Mm-hmm. That is the case of so much of the best of the in-ring action on Dynamite last night. And that backflip was in the finish was amazing. Because you've had this contrast now where Danielson, it's been a story of contrast where Danielson has been wrestling every single week. He's been proving himself the best wrestler in the world in storylines and bloody hell in reality at the moment. He's been awesome. He's been cooking (laughs) this year. And then MGF has been the sort of the special attraction who doesn't wrestle. And how on earth is that version going to be Danielson? And this match with Takeshita thrillingly, thrillingly, easy for me to say, restores the parity. Not only is he just a bastard who can get things done, not only is he clever enough to just outwit his opponents as well, he doesn't have to rely on one-dimensional cheating, but that backflip, again, he just measures this stuff so well. He doesn't have to be flashy, but he can be flashy once to prove that, you know what, he's not just some cheating bastard. He's not some low-rent cheap heat heel. He can beat you, he can outwit you, he can do things that you do not think he's capable of mm. to add these incredible dramatic twists. Um, like, he didn't, like, falter on this fall at all. He's ducked a clothesline at the same time as performing a backflip. He's moved with his footwork on this was unbelievable because he's backflipped, he's landed on his feet, and then if you watch it back, which I did about five times because it was so incredible, he moves forward with his right foot, and that gets him in position to do the next sequence, which is a great four-on trade-off. 
This is absolutely great, and I love the finish. Didn't have to cheat because realistically you kind of need him at this point because he's going to have to score at least one fall on Danielson clean to like sort of elevate the drama of that match. It can't be one-dimensional, babyface versus heel. They're going an hour. There has to be range to it. There has to be a lot of depth to it. You have to believe that he can beat him on his own terms a lot for the 60-minute duration, and he's telegraphed that he can with as clean as a whistle win, and the contortion of the arm just looked spectacular. Yeah, this is someone he's facing who didn't come into the match with an injury. They've just sort of tweaked their arm mid-match. His selling was great as well. Yeah, I love the finish for how he, he did just trap him and capture him. It was a, a moment of wrestler instinct, the kind of kayfabe with which you can completely believe. And yeah, my thoughts exactly, you need that for an Ironman match because there should, ideally over 60 minutes, we've seen it when it's not done like this, you need the, a couple of those finishes in there. It really helps the drama. It helps those like the moments in an Ironman match where things can start to uh, drag a little bit, where reminding the fans that a finish, you have 60 minutes here, a finish can come from absolutely nowhere and the match can continue on, so you can almost give that one away. Speaking of giving away, like giving away his knee in this match for the first time, uh, we've known all along that Brian's arm is not going to be 100% and it figures into uh, like MJF strategy, but this puts over the very idea of why MJF is who he is, why he works smart and not hard, because he's come here had to work one match in between a pay-per-view cycle and he's wrenched his knee. That's why MJF thinks that this is a waste of his time. That's why he, that's why he is who he is. It's mm-hmm. why it's what he values is his time away from in the ring rather than in it because at the slightest whiff of some like having to sort of exert some competitive energy, he's hurt himself a bit. In contrast to Brian doing this every single week, full pelt, it's just yet again, they're perfect opposites in kayfabe. But I love, and this was like really, really ingenious matchmaking in that regard. The perfect opposites in the in the sort of story and in like what you know of these characters, but they're far closer. And what we needed for this story was just a little glimpse of that. We needed something akin to the I always reference the Derby Allen match from Full Gear. That's one of my favourites. But the CM Punk TV match, this being another one now, the Wheelie Uta one. That little glimpse of what MJF has actually got is just the right amount anymore and it spoils the the perfect opposites mm. bit so again this was this was measured just right in terms of the quality of the action as well the execution was fantastic just to put it over one of my big bugbears of modern wrestling is the high flying fi- high five dive where you're just pushing them gently into the barricade it just looks like just looks like trash the somersault plancher like he just nailed him across the Right between the shoulder blades, mm. it was such a great bit of collision detection. The dive, that dive is never worth the risk, is it? No. The impact is never worth the risk you put in your body through to do it, if, the, if the, all of this was real. But Takeshita has crumpled him like an accordion. <laughs> <laughs> and now he can, like you say, sell that knee injury if they do a contract signing or whatever, maybe even have some crutches, and then obviously use that to attack mm-hmm. Danielson then hit the boost icon and then do the wanker symbol. It's going to happen eventually. I'm yeah, just going to yeah. keep saying it. Uh, we got a video package from the king of television, Samoa Joe, uh, called Darby a worthy and brave adversary, but Wardlow, he's not. Um, Joe's not only taking his belt, he's taking his scalp. Um, and, uh, you know, what more do you want me to, from me to take from you, says Joe. Uh, men like Wardlow need to be put down immediately. Uh, Wardlow's got many secrets. Joe's going to expose him and take everything from him. I don't like this one bit. Like, I, I think it contradicted itself. Like, I've taken everything from you. 
Words, 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 words. And I'm going to take everything from you. And I think he just thought, I'm Samoa Joe. This one true king of television bit is good. And it'll, yeah. and it'll carry it. Like, I genuinely think that was the idea of all this. And I don't think it did. I swear they're trying to whitewash what Samoa Joe versus Wardlow really is. It was never as good as Derby versus Joe. It was never as good as Derby Allen, TNT champion brackets general. And they're kind of asking you to think so much more of this feud that... Like, have we already forgotten that, like, it wasn't that great and it didn't do that much for Wardlow? And for as great as this Joe character was, the Wardlow ingredient was not the magic one. Like, I, I didn't like it last week and I liked it even less after this. I don't think they quite know what they're selling because what they're, what they're selling, especially if it's revolution, isn't worth that much. This was uh, kind of encapsulated the theme of the night where the big match, the key attraction for revolution was heated up considerably. But I got this kind of uneasy sense that the Revolution card is going to annoy slash bore me when I see it on that Wikipedia page. Like, I'm counting at this point three rematches that look to be penciled in mm. for Revolution that I've got almost zero interest in and that I've seen either done before and well, so it's going to be a diminished return, or I've seen it and I do not want to rematch at all. Guns, spoiler alert, acclaimed is probably going to revolution. Can't be arsed with that. Jericho Starks is probably going to revolution. Can't be arsed with that. Joe versus Wardlow is probably going to revolution. Can't be arsed with that. And you and it's I like, were saying when we went for coffee this morning, the brilliant guys at Good Brews, um, that I still have no bloody clue what they're doing with the women's title at the pape. No, not like you can speculate. Three. Could be Soraya. Could yeah. be a multi-woman. I don't know. And I'm worried about revolution, which is kind of the opposite of what I wanted to feel about it yesterday. But the most important thing on the show, at least I'd prefer to be hyped about all seven hours of it. <laughs> but there's one hour that was heated up considerably. So Currently feeling like a This Dynamite version of a pay-per-view, isn't it? Because the, the peaks and the highs and mm, the good stuff is yeah. going to rule hard. But mm. Oh, uh, sorry, guys. I appear to have messed up here because uh, I've got a woman's match in the first hour. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I, honestly, I literally couldn't believe it. When I heard the Butcher and the Blades theme, it was so irreconcilable to me that there could be a women's match going on second yeah. that I just assumed that I'd missed the Butcher and the Blade in action on a lower third. Like a last-minute match announcement, yeah. yeah. But it wasn't that. It was, yeah, the Bunny uh, versus AW Women's World Champion Jamie Hayter, another title eliminator. So I quite appreciate the fact that they've put them back-to-back -back here. Uh, and obviously built throughout the show to the title matches. This was a better night for belts than Battle of the Belts. This, <laughs> yeah, this show was this whole card. It was like, I had like real serious title. Battle of the what, sorry? Battle of the Belts. Thank you. Uh, I'll be honest, a lot of this match happened in the commercial break. <sighs> oh, boy. And I don't really know what happened at the finish. So, um, shoulder blocks early on from Jamie Hayter. Jamie Hayter's great. She controls it, but then Bunny does a corner leg choke thing that she does. So Hayter just suplexes her back into the ring. But then Bunny suckers her in on the other side with a neck breaker through the ropes, snaps, snap suplex into the ring steps. That takes us to a break. Uh, and then when we come back, Hayter makes her come back because Bunny was controlling for throughout the majority of the break. Hits an exploder. Hits a second one. And I think that's where it all kind of went wrong because I don't know if Bunny fell awkwardly or, or what happened there. But it felt like they just went, right, let's go to the finish. Uh, Hater hits it with Hater Aid and gets the one, two, three. Let's talk match because I sense you, know, you two will have a lot more to say about the uh, backstage thing following this as well. 
very little to say about the action. It was going okay to good, I guess, but it was cannibalized by the commercial break, yeah. as so often happens. And then just as it was threatening to become something, not much, but something, that clearly they got told to bring it home early. Rightfully so, because the bunny's health needed yeah. to be safeguarded. Yeah. Um, now else to say? I, like The only other thing I'll add is like, I did ups and downs to the article, uh, for the website, which you can check the article probably now at whatculture.com forward slash WWE. And our... Um, like the saddest thing about the fifty percent of the match that was cut for the picture in picture was that now happened in the picture in picture, so you missed nothing even while you were missing something. Which is, I know, like you don't want to see this awesome action in a tiny box, yeah. But like if you're watching on fight, then you might think, you know, oh, it's a, it's devastating that they cut this cool bit out of it. There was, there was now to it, and then obviously you got this dodgy finish. Or oh, it felt a bit sad. All of this in truth, yeah. like the injury obviously went helped this go wrong. But even if it had gone right, I don't think it would have been up to much. I did like the the bit where Penelope Ford stole the sign that I envisaged Britt Baker and Rebel have been working really hard on for Jamie <laughs> Hayter and just ripped him into. No, it's a bit that she always takes one from the crowd. Yeah, yeah, but I I didn't see that this time, so oh, I right. thought she'd been like, no, come on, Rebel, we'll make this for Jamie. <laughs> um, but then we have to talk about <laughs> what came after this. Renee Paquette is backstage with Tony Storm and Soraya. They call Hayter a loser, and they say, come here, Lever Bates. Uh, and she says... Does your name begin with L? And then... Hellfire. She says, Tony, do the honours. Tony jumps her. Soraya jumps her again. They kick her her down. And then they spray paint an L on her back, which clearly doesn't sound for likeable, Sidgwick. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. This is absolutely terrible. And I hate how it's already the NWO's bit. Don't say we're taking over. Don't dare try and pretend that this is the... Well, I was going to say the second coming of the NWO. be like the, <laughs> the 800 coming of the NWO. Like, my God, it looks so rinky-dink to try and sort of dare suggest this is some kind of a continuation or a tribute of the NWO. It's total pastiche. You understand that there's a thematic connection. There's a group of outsiders who are being perceived as outsiders and they think the promotion they've walked into was rinky-dink, and they're going to take it over. I get it. I'm not a moron. But I do have taste, and this was bad. Loser. It's one of those good-bad insults where Hamlet's got a way around loser. Thanks. It's ironic. Piece of trash. But Soraya doesn't. It's so juvenile. It's so heatless, and I've already lost faith in this wider story, which is already... A, it's not just a diminished return of the NWO, it's a diminished return of Blackpool Combat Club and Jericho Appreciation Society, which hit its peak so early, as we discussed ad nauseum last year. And again, AEW is so much better when it shows what the alternative to WWE is, rather than trying to lampoon it and use WWE for heat. There's only one person on the show who should be doing it, otherwise it's not special, and I just hate this already. It's I know the story beat, and they're just hating it again and again and again. It's not being advanced in any meaningful mm. way. Uh, it's just the acting was awful. Do you think there's a bit next week where Soraya says, so this is where the big girls play, huh? Look at the adjective. <laughs> play. <laughs> no, because there's... We can't trust the process. There'll be zero development. It'll be this again for six weeks and a match announcement. Like, that'd be great. 
Like the idea that if this was uh, a men's feud in AEW, you'd be sort of thinking, oh, well, what's the, what's the new bit on top of the previous bit? But this already suggests there is going to be no new bit. It's just going to be this, and then a match announcement, and then oh, we're going to get him. Like the Ruby Soho detail is, I guess, the one element of this. Where's Sheeda? Where's Sheeda? Where's Sheeda? Where's Ruby Soho? I still think that a Britt Baker turn is at the end of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you like you use the title, however you factor it in. I to Cedric's point, the acting was terrible. My biggest takeaway from this, we talked about this over the desk this morning. Like I think Tony Storm might be the most underserviced character in all of AEW. The pivot has been too sharp, and with almost no explanation, I can infer that she's unhappy that she was effectively screwed out the title, um, and that like she was particularly upset with Jamie here. She's aggrieved with her specifically. Mm. They live together. It's a shame what's happened to that friendship and that union. But I f- it feels so forced, like forced and fake, that I'm being asked to boo this woman who was so integral to my enjoyment of that division last year, match after match after match after match. She was a working babyface mm. champion, and now she's just this, like, dickhead here. It feels proper overnight stuff. And because they're not developing the characters, I'm not being... Inc- I'm just sort of now she's sneering along with Soraya. Like, at least with the Soraya turn, there was this element of, oh, they've maybe listened to the audience. There was a feeling like the matches were quiet and the promos were already being received like she was a heel. That like certain titled. Fans, yeah, didn't, certain fans felt like she didn't really belong and the scripting for her was pretty terrible too. So they've maybe like reacted. It's in a, scripting. It was her own stupid idea. Well, yeah, like reacted in the right way. But like nobody, I understand the narrative, but nobody was saying, oh yeah, like all those really good matches that were restoring the faith in this division. I want to hate her now. Like, that was never, ever this feeling from the audience, and she feels she somehow is miscast despite her character's place in this making sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Wrestler shares genuinely tumultuous, awful time with fellow wrestler. That fellow wrestler ignores her, distances herself from her, cheats her out of a title. Tony Storm is the baby face here. Yes. She is the baby face. And now she's a heel because she came from WWE. It's just so shallow. Mm. So bloody shallow. Feels redundant in the wake of the JAS versus BCC. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not into any of this at all anymore. Well, maybe the L actually stood for this. It's time to play the game! Time to play the game! Hopeless. Uh, what does the L stand for, uh, Michael Cedric? But before that, what's the aim of the thing that the L stands for? Well, the L stands for Ladies' Night, which is a game we play. But before we, uh, well, after we get to the name of the game, we get to the aim of the game, where most weeks, not this one, every single time, except for this one, and select others, AEW, in the penultimate slot of television, Puts the women in there to die in their one little match that they get after four friggin' years. That's what it was this week. Yeah. And in an effort, a concerted, continued effort to shine a harsh, glaring light on how obligatory, token, afterthought this women's division is, we tried to guess to the hour, minute, and second. Went very close this week. First time you hear the first. Note of the first woman's entrance theme on Dynamite. If we can get it to the hour, minute, and second, right, it will really underscore, italicize, and embolden just how much of a cliched pattern this is. And the pattern basically is 
You remember the rhyme. When the ladies come out to play, don't worry. The main event ain't too far away. So that's the aim of the game. The depressing game. That is becoming increasingly tedious to play. <laughs> and the name of the game is... Well, this is ladies night and I'm thinking no word of nada. Um, yeah, like I said, uh, not very close this week. Sitch, no. um, get the times out because shout out to Adam Blair, as always, at Adam Wilton 4 on Twitter for uh, gathering all the statistics, all the... Um, Data. Uh, thank you for this. Uh, 19 minutes and 46 seconds. We know that they listen to the podcast. This is just an out and out thing from Tony now. Because literally last week I said, oh, what if they put the women in the first hour? And he's like, I'll do it this week when you've said an hour and 20 something. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Uh, uh, the only time anyone wants to be 0 and 4, because we can't decide what's the best version of winning this game. losing is winning in this yeah. game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sige, who, who got going? What were the times we gave, sorry? In descending order? <laughs> but where is that one week? Yeah. Michael Hamflet, one hour, 15 minutes, flat as his heat. Nailed it. Adam Wilborn, Adam Wilborn, one hour, 17 minutes and 56 seconds. Second hour. Sidgwick, one hour, 23 minutes, 49 Miles seconds. Miles away. Pathetic. Now who's the f***ing loser, you piece of s***? <laughs> <laughs> right, you, because you like the Fed? <laughs> Got him. Can I bring a pen there? Mm-hmm. The, oh, I don't uh, know, it's very expensive. It'll take the uh, the stats because that's is that two swears? Yes, oh, twenty four. Okay, hang on. I'll bring you updated for context. We are doing a swearing tally yeah. between me and Hamflip because what happens is we have to beep bleep the swear words out. Do so we? we make work for Wilborn. Adam Wilborn has to bleep the swear words out. Right. That's, to, that's good. That was good. He has to waste his time, much like he wastes all of our time in the <laughs> office when yeah. he goes, Daddy, I've watched a new video. <laughs> hey, come on, have a look at this. Uh, do you want to know the scores on this currently, as as far as my records allow? I haven't gone back, obviously. Okay. Just 11 squares, Michael Sidgwick. Now eight square, eight squares, Michael Hamlet. <laughs> eight squares. squares. Freudian slip because it said square. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Uh, but yes. <laughs> 90 minutes. Oh, f***ing coconut's not shy, is it? God damn it. <laughs> right. Uh, Adam Blair, yes, yeah, says 19 minutes. Adam Square. Uh, 19 minutes, 46 seconds, which means... Michael Hamlet, you're the winner this week. Uh, You've got two. Sidgwick's got two. I've got 0 and 4. <laughs> and a trophy. And a trophy, yeah. Fair enough. Um, we'll probably not need the game by the end of the year. They'll have fixed all this. Yep. A port Jose, Jose Palomares, who took over this whilst yeah. Adam was away, tweeted us saying... Pretty much the Tony Storm of ladies' night, yeah. actually. Uh, I was kind of thinking they might have added a second women's match on the second <laughs> Why? Come on, Jose, mate. You've watched the show before. <laughs> uh, it said the card was already stacked here. Um, right. We return to Dynamite. full of men. <laughs> we return to, the, to Dynamite. And uh, Lexi Nair is, is waiting outside MJF's dressing room to interview him. Good luck, everyone. Um, gets in there, and Max says, Well done to Gesta. You're just no, not a match for a generational talent like myself. But uh, he says, I don't know whether I'm twisted because the fans hate me or vice versa. Uh, but now it's time for story time with Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Bye-bye. Um, oh, God. He didn't say that. I've just added that. Um, You've just got Adam go. Thanks very much. I think that bandana did it the other week. Um, 
He can, st- oh, he can pull anything off, what am I saying? Um, and he talks about... Pull uh, Hamlet's wife off. He's <laughs> <laughs> not wrong. He talks about being met with adversity, and that's why he's, gonna, he's better than Brian Danielson. He talks about being in high school uh, and driving this blue uh, Camaro. Camaro? Camaro. Um, and he got ticket after ticket. Because I have, like, Ford Fiestas in yeah. America. <laughs> <do they? laughs> got ticket after ticket, taking his boys out and speeding. Uh, anyway, it's junior prom, prom time, and he's, uh, his homies are there. They walk in. Uh, they're in, they were in Lemons, and uh, he sees his, his crush. Uh, she's beautiful. He sees her across the room. Let's call her Liv. Uh, anyway, he uh, you know, has a lovely time with her, and then they, they get out of there. They get in his car. Uh, he gets to drive in it. And she gets to, and then Sid, I'm really sorry to put you on the spot here. He sort of like went, he's got like a, like if you're going to make an, a zero symbol with your hand. Yeah, He yeah. sort of did that, but did it to the side. Yeah. And then he sort of like moved it towards, not talking to you, love, moved it towards his mouth. And then like he stuck his tongue in the side of his, the side of his, his mouth. Uh-huh. And I, I have no idea what he's doing. I think with that gesture, without saying the word, and it's gone over your head, yeah. Wilborn. Just like she went over his head <laughs> with a mouth and went on because she was sucking his cock. Oh, so it was. So uh, he got to drive in and basically turned to her and said, <laughs> So he was a member of DX in college. High school. High school. College. Well, he's a liar, isn't he? He told Sam Punky I had no mates. <laughs> so Make your mind up, Max. So he's driving. No, he didn't have mates. Mm. Yeah. And then he got mates by being great at football. Oh, right. The old uh, pigskin. God, he sounds as big a mark from his world, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> Threading it all together. They're driving really fast. It's raining. They hydroplane spin. He's putting his foot on the brake, but actually he's putting his foot on the accelerator. And they cl- clash into this pole, 90 mile an hour. Wakes up. He can taste pennies in his mouth. His hands are covered in blood. And he looks, and there's Liv, and she's not moving at all, and the sirens are coming. You know, there's adversity. What's he going to do? He, you know, he checks. She's still breathing, but it's not looking good. So he switches seats with her. So it looks like she's <laughs> been driving, so he couldn't get a ticket and lose his license, basically. Uh, he says, Brian, you're going to get met with adversity, and everyone's going to see you ain't got the balls. Uh, the temerity to do what it takes, but I have. There isn't going to be a match. There's going to be no Iron Man match. Yeah, I'm a scumbag, and I'm damn proud of it. Brilliant. I thought this was fantastic. The idea that the love of his young life, and we all remember being young. Yeah? yeah. A long time ago. <laughs> I do. I'm the youngest guy alive. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tib. <laughs> you all remember feeling young. You just up a height with emotion. Just consumes you. You yeah. think about these loves that you have every single day. <laughs> well, it's twenty four seven. You think of nothing else. You're in English class. You're in trig. You're in recess. Study hall. You're in study hall, and you're thinking, "Oh my god, that thing she does to me." You're just besotted. It's infatuation at that age. You're all hormonal. <laughs> I wish I was a homework diary. <laughs> <laughs> But it's pure infatuation at that age because your hormones are sending you mad. Blood in your cack every goddamn day. And then, you know, you 
get there to like what what's that? I never understood bases. No. I you can infer it. Well, it took me ages to get to any of them. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I never kept up with the lingo on that front. I think touching a titty is first base. Okay. And I don't know whether it changes to second and third with body parts that you're touching or body parts you're touching with. Could well, you please well, Google and bases? Because yeah. I'm not American, so yeah. I don't get it. Um I've take I've gone to the most reliable source. You know, if you want a definition of a word, you go to the OED. Mm-hmm. If you want a definition of the base system, you go to UrbanDictionary.com. Very good. Uh, first base is uh, Frenchener. Of course, oh, of yeah. course. Second base says feeling up slash boob touching. Feeling up. Put that first. Uh, second and a half base fingering, fingering slash hand job. Third base oral. Fourth sex all the way. It says. It's a home run when you come. <laughs> now, what is it? That's fourth, a good point, sex yeah. is all the way is a home run. Sex. Yeah, but it's fourth base. It's going to be summed up, thankfully, here with four words. French feel suck f***. <laughs> God, I'm a system. I'm going to remember it now. Yeah. Thanks, Urban Dictionary. But, you know, you, you, you're just besotted. You're consumed. It's an obsession. I love the idea that he's got all of this going on in his head and the love of his young life, because to quote Sabrina the Teenage Witch, at 16, it's always true love. <laughs> That's one of the aunties, is it? Yeah. Wasn't Sabrina in AEW as well, briefly? She was, yeah. yeah. LTST. Yeah. <laughs> and his first thought, after almost driving himself and his young love of his life to their demise was, get out, I want to drive again. <laughs> I don't want a ticket. <laughs> I, I, he doesn't want a ticket, so he did this maneuver so he could do this thing again. What an arsehole of a character. Tremendous stuff. I will never, ever tire. And him. he tweeted a photo of him with the car, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I wish, sorry, just before you give your take, I wish I'd made this connection. I'm a massive fan of the show, so I'm shocked that I didn't. But this was his Dennis Reynolds promo. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's uh, like the MJF system. <laughs> he's he's like he's done this before. He just equates all these things that aren't that awful with being the most awful thing that happened to him. It's pretty awful. It's pretty awful. But like, worse what, for it. Well, he's done it much worse yes. than the actual thing that's happened, and he's done this before. That he would use this to illustrate to Brian, who has wrestled a hundred million times and is going to bleed in a few minutes and all that. He's like, Brian, you need to be worried about my survival instincts because dot, 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 and this is what he's got. I'm like, salt of the earth. Yeah. No. Like, it's just an, it's like the next level of how to be a poisonous wrestling heel in 2023. Yeah. And it's, I just, I love it. It's a modern spin on how to be a villain. It's honestly the sort of, like, if you watch like old 80s territory stuff, they can just do stuff that happens within the context of pro wrestling. And then you get into the attitude here, and everybody's got to have a, a real life as well. WWE cannot figure it out, so you get, well, another car version of this with Triple H, and Kane is like, Ugh. Katie was in the car, wasn't she? They, they cannot figure it out, and here's, here's figuring how you do that. Reign of Terror. Reign of Terror. Car Great. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Great. But like, uh, yeah, unlike Triple H and Kane, she lived. Yep. <laughs> you think? Oh, yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Right, um, let's get to the Garcia Guevara gauntlet that followed this Ugh. Ugh. Let's keep it brief because we're going to go in depth on uh, Jericho later. Yes, that's great. And I don't want to talk about it because <laughs> it sucked ass. Sucked ass. We were talking about this earlier as well. Where's Action Andretti? Absent Andretti. Mm. So uh, Ricky Stark. In Action Andretti. <laughs> Ricky Starks has to get get past Cool Hand Ange, Daddy Magic, and then one of Garcia or Guevara. And then they said uh, he was going to face Jericho that night. I didn't really. I did that. not know that no. I was communicating. Well, not that it mattered, because you know, as soon as they said that one, well, that's not happening. Um, so, yeah, um, Angelo Parker got a quick eye rake in there and a snap suplex. Uh, got out of the Rochambeau, um, but then Starks ducks a shot, hits a spear. One, two, three. Daddy Magic had barely had time to, to get his nipples hard before he uh, was rolled up and pinned after a sneak attack. What was the point of and then here comes Garcia and Guevara. Well, Garcia comes out, then Guevara comes out, and Garcia's like, what's going on? And they did sort of what we called yesterday of like, whoa, which one is it? You can't tell. They both jump up on the apron. Uh, and it, as he, they utilize this fact of Stark's not knowing who he's going to face for Garcia to quickly attack him and take over and control during the break. When we come back, Stark's powers up, power bomb. Goes up top, Garcia cuts him off with a superplex, um, holds on, but Starks turns it into a Northern Lights bomb for a near fall. Uh, they fight on the apron with slaps and forearms and all that good stuff. Starks hits a spear, but uh, falls to the uh, well, obviously falls to the floor. He's climbing back up, and then somebody, some fan, who could it possibly be, with a mask on, hits him with a Judas effect, basically. <laughs> Garcia rolls him back into the ring, pins him, one, two, three, and then the fan 
gets into the ring, pulls off the mask, and it's Chris Jericho. I, I was so annoyed with this. Right On the preview yesterday, I said, I think Starks is going to lose. I think Garcia is going to be the one that beat him. And I think the whole point is, is because that's the thing that's supposed to matter. Garcia is the real reason Jericho is getting any success. And Starks kind of needs a narrative reason to want to fight him again. We haven't been given a believable on these insult exchanges. I feel fake and forced and all the rest of it. And they botched it. They did that and they botched it. They absolutely blew this. This was like AI thinking it's absolutely nailed a storyline. But even AI needs like a real human being with understanding to make it work. And this has been led by Chris Jericho, so hasn't got one. Like, it's, like, the conclusion of this required Dan Garcia to win, uh, to put him over, right? And then Jericho's the reason he wins. The mask stuff, I can almost forgive that the announcers were thick. No. Right? I, <laughs> he was viewing I, I know Cedric wouldn't, and I'm glad that he doesn't, because he holds him to a higher standard than I do. I can forgive that how thick they were and how thick that came across. And I would have admired the gag of, like, Garcia and Guevara specifically going, who's that? No way, it's Chris. Like, they can be in on it, that's fine. But this whole thing should have existed for Garcia. They even have, like, this five, six-minute competitive match, and it's Jericho that did him. Garcia wouldn't have won. So the whole idea of, like, oh, Garcia's getting badly undervalued by Chris Jericho. No, he's not. He's being carried by him. He'd have been nothing without Jericho. Like, rings. he would have lost, just like the rest of them. He would have been, a, like, a loser that just took longer to lose than Daddy Magic and Cool Hanange. Like, I, they totally nulls this up for me, and I just, I'm no more interested in the Starks match, even though they've now given you, like, Starks going to come out and be like, well, that was not on, and I'll get you a revolution. I don't care, but at least they've given you, like, a kayfabe justification for it. Ruining him. Ma- ruining a, they made Starks. A total, well, they made a total mess of this. The worst thing about AEW right now, and again, I'm not, well, I am going to put my own booking over. The two wrongs on this show make a right if you get rid of the Gun Club acclaimed feud and get rid of the Starks Jericho feud and have the Sex Gods work the acclaimed as a revolution match, from after which you can set in motion the Jericho Guevara feud, that's going to happen at some point. You get the two worst things off this show. Yeah. And you get a great thing because the Sex Gods absolutely rule. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't help but think about that when I was watching nothing. What happens when I watch something boring on AEW? And I try not to do this because I have to review it mm. in depth. I, I, I can't help. I'm a 21st century human. Mm. I have to go on my phone. I'm just addicted to the phone. So when I saw the 2.0 Starks, I said, oh, who cares? They're gonna, he's going to do a roll-up and he's going to make quick work of them in two minutes. I can just go on my phone. And I did. Sorry, 2.0. I'm assuming it wasn't a great squash match. <laughs> and then... Again, it's the cruel use of one's imagination because when Starks and Garcia were going at it, really good. Yeah. Elements of it were great. That spear into the submission hold looked like the tits. And I just couldn't help but think that I understand what they're doing with Garcia. They are either trying to say, right, okay, we can do kill two birds with one stone here. You can, like sort of learn the dark arts of being a TV star and a sports entertainer. One, because you'll need some of these tools at some point if you are to become more well-rounded. And two, the idea is that the fans love you as the technical wrestler guy, resent you for being the sports entertainer. And in fact, on occasion, they haven't chanted this for a while, but you're a wrestler. That's what he was getting throughout the Danielson feud. They were killing two birds with one stone. Now, all I could help think was... They are doing the performance center thing with Garcia, and it's no longer a parody, and it's the Minoru Suzuki quote. 
they are kind of, and I hate to say this because the guy's so talented, but they're trying to smooth out those edges in Garcia's game, uh, making him a seven in every area, and in the process, is, I, I, this is Suzuki's word about, uh, phrase about the performance center people, not me necessarily saying this about Garcia, but he's becoming a great lump of boring, smooth trash. He's just, I don't get what they're doing with him. I don't think it's even funny enough. He's got comedic timing. Basically, in my long-winded way, I'm saying he's woefully miscast. Mm. I'm no longer feeling remotely interested in watching him become reborn as the killer, but having learned how, you know, cut some TV-friendly promos and maximize his minutes or whatever. I just saw the thrilling glimpse of Daniel Garcia and uh, Ricky Starks and thought, do that for 12 minutes instead. Just do that for 12 minutes instead. It's by orders of magnitude, the best thing about this segment of television. Good booking of and this. The co- sorry. And the commentators here, I was appalled. I told my telly to go f*** itself because they used to, you have to act dumb a little bit, otherwise the heel gets no heat. But there's a delicate balance of how this is meant to work and the idea that they couldn't guess who it was pitiful, and it made a mug of everyone. They made a mug of themselves. Mm-hmm. They had contempt for my intelligence. Mm-hmm. Ricky Starks. Blindsided, I guess, but uh, I hate all of this. Well, to that, but like nobody else throws a back elbow that puts somebody down for the count other than Chris Jericho. So even if it was just a fan that could swing, it's not a Judas effect, is it? You know, like, there, there was a good way to do this bad idea was, like, to Cedric's point about Garcia specifically, because that was what I wanted to see, and I didn't get it. Jericho, and this is the point, I think he's thinking with his Jericho brain and he loves wacky unmasking stuff. He, like, he loves that bit and he's like, I'm going to do that bit. Does it fit here? Not really, but I love that bit. Mm. I was Dan Housen on the boat the other week. I'm brilliant, mate. I did it in New Japan and it worked. I did it at All In and people like, went daft for it. Like, it's, he just thinks that's the bit. Um, if Jericho is out there, because he can be, it's a gauntlet, and he smashes um, Starks in the back with a steel chair and the ref's going to call it as a DQ and Starks, I know I want to win because I want to get him. Uh, but she throws Chris Jericho out there, and he's gone, right? And then Jericho can't interfere, but Starks is selling the back, and then Garcia beats him with a dragon tamer. You've put over Stark. Like he's, Garcia's technical wrestling is getting the job done that Chris Jericho can't do himself. Like, I don't love this idea, but that's off the top of my head, a way to do this bad idea well. But he's just, he loves bits and bollocks and nonsense, and he forgets so many key details because he knows what's got him over 100 million times without thinking about what gets others over. And indeed, we've, like... We'll go along on this later. Yes, we are going to do a podcast later all about AW's Chris Jericho problem, indeed. So we'll uh, we'll pause talking about Le that. Probably um, he'll probably call it when he reinvents himself as a problem, Chris Jericho. You it. raised the problem, Chris Jericho. You know me. You don't know me, GFY. <laughs> you know me, baby. <laughs> GFAI, actually. <laughs> Anyway. You don't know me, baby. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> Sorry, like, like Brogs there. <laughs> I'm learning French. Je ne sais quoi. You look being like French stuff, Jericho, don't you? Yeah, he does. Uh, right, the acclaimed are backstage with Renee. Uh, and Daddy Ass has said that I've got a lot of involvement in this, so I'm just going to stay in the back. And there's a bit of a moment there um, with Bowens, but he, he gets Daddy Ass to scissor and Max Castor approves of all this. Go to a break, come back. Uh, and Renee Paquette is in the trainer's room checking on uh, Takeshi. Obviously, he got busted open. Brian Danielson's checking on his mate. 
Then you hear the door lock, some voices outside, and then Roosh's music hits, makes his entrance. MGF comes after, goes on commentary. Remind me to ask you about the bit that you liked on commentary with Taz in a bit. Uh, and MGF gets out of the ring and tells his words, not mine, Sweet Cheeks, Aubrey Edwards. Cheers, Toots. Um, hey, look, the match is scheduled and rules are rules. Ring the bell. Start counting, basically. Uh, and, I mean, what's he playing at? A count-out in an AEW match? Come on, mate. Um, Danielson bursts through the locked door. Preston Vance and Jose the Assistant are there, but Takeshita gets rid of them. And Aubrey eh, takes her time so that Danielson can get down there, get to the ring, and the match is on. Um, yeah, the match was good. Uh, Danielson beat Rush. Anything you want to say about this? Or should we just... Ah, shut up, man. This was sensational. Absolutely unbelievable, this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is this one you... Is this Bix's favourite match, you said? David Bix's man believes this to be the greatest match in Dynamite history. Jesus. Fair praise. Um, so, not, yeah. It's not the greatest Dynamite match in the last seven days, but David Bix's man's entitled to his opinion. <laughs> MJF joins commentary. Actually, let's just get it out of the way now, because then I'll run through all the match. Uh, the call with Taz... Taz, like, I love Taz and MJF's relationship. He's the only one he respects on that announcement piece, because, I think possibly because he fears him a little bit. Like, Taz used to wrestle and can maybe still give, for all we know. Uh, and Taz was just talking about Daniel Bryan's usual chest and how it, like, mincemeat chest, but he kind of got a bit lost. And he's like, man, look at uh, Bryan's chest. It's um, a, a pound of beef, you know, you know, like me. And like, there was just a really pregnant pause, and MJF went, Man, Taz, you're so good at this. <laughs> but, like, really earnestly as well to fill that gap and sort of save that little trail off. Amazing. He was he was really great on commentary because he was very, like, MJF, it's very difficult for that character to be self-effacing, but the stuff he was saying, what was the bullhorn line specifically? I can't remember. I'm not doing it in the accent. But the, like, he was doing his impression of Roosh. It's a way to take the piss out of himself as being this, like, narcissist, ignorant prick, and I just thought that was, like, really... Everything the only the bit show. of the road, too, he's watched is, is Roosh yelling down the camera lens it's about class. it. He's, I love the bit where he's like, oh, what's, that? what's that? Aubrey's problem? The one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's easy. Who can't count to ten? <laughs> and then he's talking about Shivani. The MGF Shivani oh, bit is yeah. always great. And he called him a... F- Fat, disgusting, obnoxious turd. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, just to put over the format of this dynamite. Turd! Because it's serviced MJF the best, as well it should have done. He's the world champion, yes. and he's maybe the best they've got. Like, dynamite lately, like, the format of the show has kicked ass, like, noticeably more than it was doing. This segment with the um, locked door, asked and answered, by the way, yesterday when I wanted something a bit more artful and a detail, I got it. Like, this was great. Daniel, uh, Brian Danielson having to bust open the door with his bad shoulder and running in selling. Like, he was selling before the bell. Brilliant. But um, the idea that, like, now MJF wrestles and then cuts a promo and then features heavily in this sort of stuff as well. You've never used to get, like, the yeah. door thing would be the one thing MJF would do on a show once upon a time, but they're giving the stuff that needs the attention, the time it deserves, and I really like that. You felt like the absolute focal point yep. of this entire promotion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they they beat the crap out of each other here. Roosh really turned it on, um, including early on, chucking Danielson into the railings on the outside. Danielson got busted open and was just pissing blood throughout this match. And Roosh... Went to do his best sort of BJ Penn impression and lick this, lick the blood off his hand. And even Aubrey was like, don't do that. That's horrible. Um, there was an also, this wasn't intentional, but I'm going to still give him a... Oh, my God. ...for it. Uh, I think they're fighting on the apron, I think it was. Danielson runs at Roosh, 
hits an overhead throw to the floor, and Danielson's hair, coated in blood, flings blood, and there was a speck of blood on about five different cameras uh, throughout this match, but this was the moment that God. I was like... That's magic. That is absolutely extemporaneous performance art magic. It's not just luck that you get something like that. That they just, they've merited this from from what they've put together here. I thought. Oh, absolutely. It's great as well because it's like oh, Moxley. Try and top that. You literally can't. <laughs> so uh, Danielson fights back. I think after this was after a break, charging drop kick against the railing, uh, drop kick back inside again. This is the chop battle, which is probably the the beef bit. <laughs> um, Roosh goes for the bullhorns. Uh, Danielson hits his corner drop kick. Roosh cuts him off. Straight jacket pile driver. Danielson kicks out. Roosh just keeps fucking throwing forearms. Goes for bull, bull's horns again. Uh, but this time Danielson pops up and hits a Busaiku knee for a two count. Forearm battle. About 20 headbutts exchanged between the men. Uh, Roosh goes for another comeback German that he's been using throughout this match. But Danielson lands on his feet. Busaiku knee. One, two, three. He's done it. He's gone through all the challenges that MJF has laid out in front of him. He has got the match at Revolution, the Iron Man 60-minute match. Um, but he could, doesn't have time to celebrate before MJF hits the ring, clocks him with a beautiful diamond ring, and puts him in salt of the earth. And security gets in there, and they can refs, and they cannot get him off. He's a he's crazed. He's trying to rip the arm out of his socket, Sige. When they were doing. Your mom looks like a goat. Well, your mom shagged people, and people said, oh, this is very beneath them. You have to dial up the intensity. You have to dial up the intensity. It is coming. Let it play out. And my God, this program is at its hottest, and I've got every faith, and I had every faith, that it's going to get even more incandescent as the weeks unfold ahead of Revolution. This was a professional wrestling masterpiece. I thought this was absolutely unbelievable character work from both men here. Like, I think that the bounty was a great idea. We saw it in the build to Starcade 83. It's kind of an old territory thing. But with it being an old territory storytelling device, you wonder, could it fall into pastiche? Is it something that doesn't feel as real as it once did? Reign of Terror as well. Did it for Goldberg, didn't he? Yeah, this was like 10 times better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was like 1 million times better. The character work from Ruchier was unbelievable. He was less flashy. He did do the fake out, but he kicked him in the head just as hard. But my God, he just had a prize that he wanted to obtain, and he beat the living piss out of Danielson. The character work and the motivation in this incredible brawl, which was ungodly intense, was just unbelievable, and you're not going to get a better selling from underneath Babyface like Danielson here. Like, I can't even remember half of the moves in this match because they're okay. immaterial to the emotion and the tone and the sense of urgency and the fight. Like, the best thing about this, well, all of it was unbelievable, but Danielson's blade job was just the right kind of amount of blood being shed because he didn't have that Eddie Guerrero in 2004. Yeah where he's like, he's wobbling, he's lost too much. It's kind of gripping, but not in this worked way. Yet, yet, he still wrestled as if he was losing blood in a really disgusting, frankly dangerous way. Like, his chop, he felt lightheaded in that ring. He felt like he just needed to rely on his spirit to get back into it. Even the Basaiku knee 
reversal, the counter to Bullshorn. He didn't lay it in on purpose because he was the character was losing blood. It was so valiant. It was so dangerous feeling. It was so gruesome. The blood on the camera. This is a masterpiece of a television pro wrestling match. Absolutely incredible. And Roosh as the bounty hunter. It's kind of, it's not silly, but it's a bit of its time. It's kind of hard to do. I just thought he pulled this off to un, like incredible effect. Yeah, they had, like, this was an over-delivery, in my opinion. I know there's expectations always set very high with Brian Danielson. I think they're not set high with Roosh because his kind of reputation precedes him a little bit, and you might... Like, this is probably the best match Roosh has this year. It was really fantastic, but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. the, the gap between this and the ones you might have might be quite substantial after this. Um, but the bounty hunter element and the, the fact that this was the end of the gauntlet had to make this a fight to the death, and that was what they achieved, and I thought that was what was really impressive about this. I'm the same as Sige. Like, I know this was great, but in contrast to, say, well, the trios match on this show, you're not like those little flashpoints in your brain when you come and sit down to this podcast are not individual moves or individual holds. I particularly like the kick on the floor when Brian was already bleeding and sat in the chair and just went for that one more yeah. before. So I like, that one sticks out, but it wasn't a match of that. It was just the vibe and the energy they created. Which is all but impossible. Yeah, and that suited the story. Like, at long last, I felt like my little criticisms of, oh, like, another got to beat all these guys. This felt like a climax to mm. that rather than just he's beating the fifth man, we can finally get on with that. And that was, like, that's a really hard thing to achieve. There's a bit of, I uh, forgot to mention this before, but, that, like, there's one thing that didn't work for me, but this is a me thing, and I'm, like, I can let us, I know for a fact people have just loved it, so it's just a me thing. There was a bit of LTST here, a bit of law. Um, Aubrey Edwards, it's not just that all referees hate MJF. <laughs> institution hates him. The institution despises him and has good reason to, going right back to the Cody, can I whip him once? Like, <laughs> that was where they established that. And like, look, it's MJF, he's horrible. You wouldn't want to work with him, yeah. and they have to. Aubrey Edwards, last night was, what were we in, 2023? Seven years to the day that Brian had to retire because of head injuries, and Aubrey Edwards is in that crowd in tears of that course. night. And there she was, wanting to will Brian into the ring. And, like, I'd seen that on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and it was, like, because she was saying, like, oh, I can't believe I get to, like, raise his arm, raise his hand, whatever it was. Like, this was there. They were in Seattle. That must have been it. You know, we were, uh, in, yeah. we were in this venue together once, but it's very different this time, all that kind of thing. I, like, I didn't need, personally, preference, I didn't need the headbutts. I don't like watching Brian. Like, the sh there were shoot headbutts. Like three in there that were just connecting. <laughs> and I like, like, it's that thing where, like, Jeff Hardy or Darby Allen do something wild. Then, like, six weeks later, something awful will happen. They were like, How have we got here? It's like, Well, that's how we get here. Like, a couple of weeks ago, it was like wrestling fans, wrestling fans. This slap fight is absolutely disgusting. You know what's just as bad as getting your head slapped full force as a headbutt to a guy that, like, went out with concussions? I didn't need that. That was where, like, the excess, but you get by twats, call your safety police. It's just a preference thing, but like yeah. I could have done without that because for a second lifted me a little bit out of the fiction. This this match was so good as well because in my pedantic way I was like, well, hang on, if you're willing to just you know money aside, whatever, if you're willing to be like, well, we have to stop him anyway. Hook or by crook, count out. I'll take I'll take a count out. That you didn't win, therefore we don't have to have the match. In my head, I then go, well, hang on a second, you're on commentary, so why wouldn't you? The moment you think Roosh is going to lose. Uh, go down and just punch him in the face. Because then, oh, DQ, there you go. Bollocks to you, Brian Danielson. But the match was so good. And like you say, Danielson was so good at fighting from underneath that 
well, why would you think that he's going to lose? It's not like he had he was dominating Rouge and stamping on his head. He just yeah, yeah, yeah. came back, boom, Busaiku knee. And he wants him to wrestle three hours if he can. Exactly, mm. as well. He was like, well, yeah, worst comes to the worst, he wins this. He's still going to get... It's the Pyrrhic victory. It could exactly. be generous, this, but I'd be willing to believe that MJF is watching this and frightened to get in the middle of it. It was that kind of yeah. match. Like, I'd buy that. You know, he's like, well, I don't really want any of this. Yeah. Uh, we go backstage, uh, and there are Brian and James from Impractical Jokers. They've sto- stolen Floyd the Bat uh, from Chris Jericho, who's been on their show before. And they say, oh, if he wants it back, he's going to have to show up when the show goes out. I finally found something that WWE is better than an AEW. Corporate synergy. Cross-promotion, because the, this what would have been better is if it was Chris Jericho versus Impractical Jokers in a NASCAR race. This is a very me take, but they're actually very good at corporate synergy in AEW. They've done a few things. I don't in know. There. Like, I don't think anyone's going to send us a bunch of free baseball bats. <laughs> we've got a lot of Mountain Dew, pitch black. Yeah, did the, the, the Fed send you it, or did Jeff Raidmaker, the legend, send you? Jeff it? Jeff Raidmaker did, but would it have ever even existed had it not been for the wonderful <laughs> Fed donating the Royal Rumble canvas to that beautiful <laughs> setting in the first place? Come on, Sitch. <laughs> yeah, it was promoting practical jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I like pranks? No, like black comedy. Yeah, I'm not a pranks guy because like got surreal ru- comedy got ruined by YouTube because it was just like, oh, cool, they're all fake. There we go. That was yeah. easy. <laughs> like, oh, I go, why could you do that to my uh, other half or whatever? I've been told about it and told to act like that. You ever had a plank, uh, plank, a prank played on you? Uh, I, I feel like in my commercial radio days they did one, and I thought, abs- and like I just saw completely saw through it. Like they did this thing, the <laughs> breakfast show guys, uh, when I was like uh, work experience or whatever, were like uh, dickhead in the morning. Yeah, dickhead in the morning. Using a bloody soundboard or something ridiculous like that on their show. Do that cheap. Don't sing me, yeah. They go. Do you know what I'll tell you as well? So they said to me, "Oh yeah, yeah, come over. We're having a big Christmas party around around so and so's house. Come round." Uh, but we're all dressing up as like as like elves and stuff. We're like we're all I'm gonna dress up as Santa and he's gonna dress up as Rudolph. And I was like, no, you're fucking not. You're gonna have made me travel across Birmingham as an elf, turn up and everyone's just wearing, you know, normal clothes and you're dressed as a bloody elf. So I just didn't dress up. And the reason I knew it was was fake is you're being too nice to me. You're too horrible <laughs> normally to the work experience, kid. You're being nice. It's rubbish. Pointless. But uh, they haven't got their jobs anymore, so it's fine. Uh, right. Whoa! Pranked. Trying to make it in the podcast game, but um, let me check the jaws. Uh, right, you the just o- got mixed. <laughs> <laughs> That's got- what that'll allow for. Yeah, yeah, real, 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 fad, real Ferdinand's World Cup wind-ups. Google it. Imagining like, you walk in the room dressed as an elf, like, you've been dickheaded. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, just, I never like pranks, and they're like ribs. Hey, I just sh- your toothbrush, brush your teeth, or I'll kick your ass. It's the like, yeah, I've done it multiple. It's the it's the office rewatches. There's like this line, isn't there, between like when Jim's pranks on Dwight just pop you, and then other times when you're like, ah, workplace bullying now. Like, yeah, I, got, yeah. I got the laugh once, but like, how are you? some of them? Are, it's my least favorite part. Of the uh, the golden era of the office, which ends in the uh, finale of season four. No, season three. Uh, I'd, I'd extend it four, but I get where you come from there. Yeah. I love the the meatball reveal. Yeah, and that's genius. Because that's a prank on Jim. Yeah, like which I, which I think is, that's what makes that so satisfying. Pretty good, all same as the snow one. Like yeah. he throws that snowball at Dwight, and it's like unnecessarily violent, and then he gets it. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, anyway, back to AW Dynamite. That's what we're talking about, aren't we? Uh, and it was for the Trios Championships, uh, the Elite. Wish TBS had the frigging office instead of the Big Bang Theory when I'm uh, uh, hooking my telly up to the feed at midnight. Yeah, WWE gives you Wheel of Fortune. Exactly. <laughs> uh, AR Fox and Top Flight challenging Speaking the Elite. Of Fox. <laughs> for the Trios titles. Um, ridiculous high-flying spots in this. It was really enjoyable. Um from all of them, I'm going to inevitably miss about five different spots here, so I do apologise. Um, back and forth, again, just mad high-flying stuff straight out of the gate from uh, not just Top Flight and the Young Bucks, but the great interaction between AR Fox and Kenny Omega as well. I love the fact that AW's introduced me to AR Fox. I would never have, have seen him prior to this, and he's, he's a bit like Takeshi, who's now no, another one of my favourites. Um, Darius blocks a super kick, Spanish fly on Matt, gets to Fox, Fox comes in, rolled through a dive, to Omega, hit a senton on Nick, fights off all the elite, does AR Fox with a variety of cutters, takes out the books with a dive, then takes out Omega on the opposite side with one, does another one, somersault dive onto the books, Dante comes in, shows off his mad athleticism, Matt cuts him off with the locomotion Northern Lights thing, um, Dante avoids the third, gets his brother in, and he's got Fox stacked, and he hits a double Northern Lights on both members of Top Flight whilst he's still stacking it. I thought oh that looked God. great. Um, Dante comes back, though. Spikes Nick with a DDT for a near fall. Fox hits an inverted 450 to the floor onto everyone who isn't Nick Jackson, basically. Um, nose dive by Top Flight. Uh, Fox hits a 450 and gets a two count. Omega just dives in at last second to break it up. Uh, Nick via Matt. Uh, Hits a moonsault to the floor to take out top flight. Omega hits Fox with a V-trigger and a Doctor Bomb for two. Hits another V-trigger, goes to the one-winged angel. Fox rolls through for a great near fall. And then they exchange pin attempts before Omega finally pins AR Fox and the Elite retain the trio's titles. That's going delirious. It's a state of absolute exhilarated delirium watching this. I could even, I'm a massive Elite Mar, particularly Omega, and I know they do this every time. I know this. they do this every single time. I watched what they were doing. They was building it, building up the pace before the commercial break. But my instinct was, is this a bit mid by their standards? And then the last six minutes happened. Yeah. And I could even, though I know what they're capable of, even though I adore their work, I could scarcely believe how good this got because it was just incredible. It was just absolutely ridiculous. The amount of momentum shifts and near falls, and the fact that it never really, it does to a degree feel choreographed and all action, but felt like people trying to win a match, and then trying to win, and then trying to win, and I was just out of breath watching the momentum twists and shifts. It was just absolutely incredible. This was not only this just phenomenal trios match, but in, within the match, I'm not saying it was the same kind of match, because they weren't just trying to kill each other in two minutes, but in terms of a sprint, Kenny Omega and AR Fox, within an already incredible match, had a Kenta-Ricky Marvin <laughs> two-minute match. It was unbelievable. An avalanche snapdragon. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Was, was multiple buttons. <laughs> I was absolutely going mental watching this. And I'll tell you what. Yes, I think they do an incredibly thoughtful job of... The elite, one of them who takes a ridiculous combo, will go on the outside for a breather, a powder. Mm -hmm. 
they'll sell because that's what you have to do in wrestling. But it's the person who's been selling for ages who will come in and break that pin at 2.99999 when you are absolutely convinced, like the eighth time in the match, that that is the finish. But yes, it's obviously not UWFI in terms of realism and hold-for-hold intricacy. But my God, the people who say there's no intent to win here are idiots, absolute idiots. My favorite thing about this match, and it was like, there was like 11 awesome things after it. And it's a recent trend that they are really starting to, not starting to think about it, but they are really starting to perfect this, mm. is the in intra-match way they set up the Melter driver, the quick thinking of, oh, if you do this, because he's there, and we can set up the Melter driver from here, it is incredible quick thinking, and they are creating the illusion that it's a strategy, that they are trying to win in that moment, and they're just so clever about it that they make it feel like they've just happened upon this great idea. This match was unbelievable. I could scarcely believe how good it was. And I'll tell you one thing as well. I try not to base my analysis around what idiots think. But I read a thread on Twitter where it was all discussing the uh, poor Rampage number. And it was what it was. But then you get the worst takes imaginable from the stupidest people imaginable. (laughs) And one of them was like, yeah, yeah, I should have just put the um, Trios titles on Death Triangle. No, I don't want to put them down to put the Elite over, but Death Triangle had a match against AR Fox in Top Flight, and it was nowhere near as good as this. Absolutely nowhere near as good as this. This was unbelievable. It's a sort of match, right, where if Dave went five on it, I would disagree, but if he goes by genre and form, this was an absolute incredible over-delivery. I was losing my mind watching it by the last five minutes. Death Triangle had seven matches against the Elite, and I don't think five of them were as good as this. I absolutely... And I love Death Triangle, and I think they're amazing. I loved this. I think the Young Bucks chemistry with Top Flight is, like, low-key goaded. Um, They always cook in there. (laughs) Kenny Omega and A.L. Fox showed me a glimpse of the singles match I want, even if we never get it, Mm. because that closing exchange, I'm the same as Sidgwick, I was just... I could not catch my breath. There was, like, a really unique phenomenon of this is just my take on it when I was watching because this is how I felt nobody bought a, like a title change and yet was so along for this exhilarating ride that the near falls worked in a different way yeah it wasn't that fern of oh, he's gonna get him it's like when's this gonna end like, yeah, yeah. I, I cannot take any more ups and downs on this roller coaster. like unbelievable feeling like very unique for like a, a series of pinfall exchanges I described this match Sidge this morning and in my article well you can read that at whatclutch.com forward slash WWE as that I was being bollocked for not having what I want and instead just wanting what I have. Like, I'm not getting, at the moment, I will caveat that, at the moment, a story with the elite, really. I don't feel like these titles are important at all, and I think that creates a bigger problem, which we'll get to next. Um, But, Christ almighty, look at this. Like, this is, like, I could be full for believing here, like, like the elite might be retiring or switching to being part-timers in a couple of years, because this is like the accelerated 2023 version of John Cena's US title run. Yeah. There's never a story there. It was just that John Cena kicks ass defending this belt, and you're going to get a go at that once a week. This is that to the futuristic next level that the elite and maybe only the elite are capable of. I do worry about the future of these belts outside of them, so maybe I don't want to manifest the House of Black or anybody else for that matter, because, like, all the cynical takes on the trios belts I think are true. I think they are playthings for the elite, 
but I'm going to just have to sit back and watch them play because mm. this stuff kicks so much ass that, like, and to the point about the old point about the wrestling buffet and all of that, like, this right next to Brian uh, is sort of like the the, the, the platonic ideal, the, the perfect mix of everything you could possibly want. If this was for you, that even if that last mm. one wasn't for you, this one will be, and vice versa. Like... I've I've got to just settle for what I've got because this is not settling. This is like god tier stuff. Kenny Omega's version of oh, I wish he was doing something else. The thing that he's doing <laughs> isn't there something yeah. else. It's such a paradox. It's one like, of the most exciting things you'll ever see in your life. Oh God, where's Kenny Omega single dress? Oh, Jesus Christ, have you seen that? Like it's by the uh, end of twenty twenty three, providing he can stay fit, you are going to get the best of both worlds and he's gonna be the god. Uh, we go backstage. Stokely Hathaway's been uh, asked about any cracks in the foundations of the firm, and he says, I know we're fine, but anything that is going wrong is because of that bloody hook. Uh, Matt's asking for a raise because of hook. Cassidy's out there oh. moaning. Um, and, of course, as he's bad-mouthing him, he's behind me, isn't he? Here comes hook. I did this on Raw, and I buried it, and yes. <laughs> what are the bloody chances? Uh, and Stokely, uh, I wasn't talking about you. Uh, and uh, Hook grabs his arm and says, be cautious with those words, sir. And uh, Stokely asks for, asks for medical. Hook shouldn't talk. At no. least yet. At least yet. Love Hook. When he talks, sometimes it's a bit weird. It, like, Taz is his dad, not Keith Lee. <laughs> like, who's taught him to speak? <laughs> I didn't like this. I had a message about the Hook heel turn. Like, Hook as a baby face is encouraging the wrong people to pitch the wrong ideas for this character, and that's how you get stuff like this. Uh, main event time. It was for the tag titles, the acclaimed versus the guns. Um, I'll talk about it first, and then I was going to ask you something about it. Uh, so, uh, Colton and Austin uh, get picked apart early on by the tag team champions, as they should. Uh, they get it with Sesame Timbers and Bones and Casters for the crowd, a huge pop. Um, uh, Caster hits a dive, uh, but the guns take over during the commercial break and isolate Max. Uh, he finally gets free, gets over to Bowen's hot tag. He runs wild, load of strikes, uh, sort of reverse rough rider, gets him a two count. But there's miscommunication by the acclaimed, and the guns again regain control. Uh, but Bowen's fires back up, goes for a discus uh, forearm on Austin. But Austin pulls the referee in front of him, who gets nailed with that and goes down, and suddenly... Anything's possible now. The referee's down. So uh, Austin Gunn grabs the title and he's going to clonk uh, Bowens. Billy Gunn hits the ring and there's a bit of a moment where you think, wait a second, what's happening here? But uh, Billy Gunn saves his new son from his biological son. Uh, Colton hits his father with the uh, tag belt. Uh, Bowens hits the arrival on Austin. Caster hits the mic drop. No ref, a groggy ref at least. Caster gets sent into the railing by uh, Colton, who then breaks up the pin attempt. Um, Bowens goes for a roll-up. He gets sent into the ropes. Colton again clocks him with the title belt. And Austin gets the one. It's a slow count because the ref's buggered. Two, three. The guns are tag team champions. And they celebrate on the ramp as uh, the acclaimed and daddy ass are very confused about what's happened in the ring. Maybe a bit of a timing issue because I thought, oh, three minutes left. What's going to happen here? And then it was just them posing with the belts and the, uh, the acclaimed looking gutted. Um, a surprise title change. What did you make of it all? Uh, well, we did say this could be one of the ones where you could see a title change on the preview yesterday. So oh, as we much, did call it, yeah. As much as it was a surprise, in terms of these battle of the belts, this was one of the ones that we... 
projected could occur. They could. Do you think it was more likely a with the placement of this on the show and b because everything else had kind of not gone to plan but gone the way you probably expected? Definitely, when they announced it as a main event, that was when it felt like the title change was coming. I've got a few conflicting thoughts over this. I know there was going to be an immediate sense of uh, panic. Put in my article, there's a comparison to Jinder Mahal. That was the, the peak example of this. But WWE had done it for decades. Like, you bastardise your belts. It's a very, very slippery slope, and it's hard to get that prestige back. Um, and AEW, it's not a model that AEW should follow at all. I like WWE, so there was elements of this that I don't mind. However what AEW shouldn't copy. Like, WWE's so broken, I can like it in spite of itself. I don't want to like <laughs> AEW in spite of itself. I want to like it because it's great at the end. Um, so it's a risk to do this with your title belt. But my problem with this, I think it was the wrong tag team to do it with. Like, the guns are fine. This story's been a bit flimsy. That tag team roster is so full of teams that you could do this exact same story with. They're a team that comes from nowhere. They can't possibly win the belts that do because what they're trying to establish is a tone, a idea of surprise and anything can happen in title matches because the criticism last year was that you're having all these matches that it's so clear he was going to win title matches typically go a certain way that you expect them to go if the challenge is red hot or the champion like revolution we love this match brian's not winning it that's just sometimes an unfortunate reality of how AEW very convincingly books its champions and challenges so they're trying to create a bit of upset in the tone here I just think there was, not to denigrate the guns, I just think there was a load of other better teams to do it. The example I use is the Butcher and the Blade, and I'm not saying that because they're super popular in the what culture office, hmm. but you wouldn't, even when you're watching the hey tag team stuff, you're not positioning them as like potential number one contenders, but they could just do it. That's what they're trying to establish here. A team can just do it, and they've gone and done it here, right? So I don't mind that so much, but it is a dangerous game to play. My issue is that right now, and this is, I think this has been an issue since day one in AEW, They've always had a tag roster, but nobody's ever mattered as much as the Young Bucks. And I don't think that's a political thing. The Young Bucks are kind of the best. FTR maybe won one A. You can have that debate, but the Young Bucks are kind of the best. Like, it, there's an element of, oh, gone off the tag belts, have you, Dawn? Because they've got the trios belts. The trios belts right now, you've just had that ripper of a match. They're the things that matter. But they don't really because there's no story. So that's popcorn stuff over there. But now you've made popcorn out of the tag belts. So you've got no division that feels particularly important. I can tolerate the trios being just for the cocaine thrill ride, but then make your tag belts matter. And now you've just made them matter less. So you've got two divisions that aren't quite important narratively at the same time. This might exist for the acclaim to win them back, as Sidgwick says. I personally can see something different. I think this is like FTR as the saviour of the tags division soul, and then you do FTR acclaim that way, and maybe FTR win. And it's a bit of a make good. Like FTR couldn't get those tag belts last year, but what a time to get them against the team that said that they were dead and buried. Like there's a romance to that, and I think they do it on TV. And you get FTR and the acclaimed. You don't need to rematch these two. Like acclaimed to hide these off a stage in a dumpster ages ago. This was done before it restarted, but I think that's maybe the way you get around it rather than the rematch. But I'd appreciate people's concerns with this. There's, you know, it's it's not the route to go down necessarily. You said yesterday uh, you were concerned this was going to be the first case of AEW having the title make the person rather than the person make the title. Do you still feel that? Yeah, this is just not good. This is not good. Um, I understand what they were trying to do. They are trying to do the whole. They're not ready and they're vastly inferior to a lot of teams who have held or not even held the AEW tag team titles. It's meant to be the worked gender. That's mm. a great analogy. They were go- I tell you what, this is a bad idea, produced very well because they wanted the uh, WrestleMania 30 Undertaker loss and they got the almost exact same expressions from some of the fans. I still think, like, this is a meta game where 
the idea is they're not really very good in the ring, or at least they're not ready yet. And isn't it a bit sacrilegious that they've won these World Tag Team titles? Don't you hate them for that? And I just think AEW is above playing pissy meta games. Um, I just, again, I have an imagination. I have taste. I have standards. And I can see a far better reality that isn't a troll job. And the worst thing is, is that, that this match was not good. Like, if this was pretext to give you the happy ending, that you have to pay for the happy ending at Revolution when the acclaimed win it back, and they did as baby faces. Anthony Bones tweeted, we will win this back. So that's where it's going. I don't think FTR figure into this. Maybe later, but not to take it off the guns. I don't want to see that match again, particularly on pay-per-view, when it'll probably go longer because it was just not good. It was... Um, so much was blown here. I, I don't know. I just think they're well above. And look, I'm maybe at risk of sounding like a hypocrite because I have on occasion, even great dynamite, you kind of know who's going to win. There's this weird, normalized, greedy, I guess, feeling around AEW where it's hyper scrutinized. It's an 8 or an 8.5 or a 9 every single week. When it's a 7, it feels like a disaster. Certainly, it's an aberration. But there is this, oh, Dynamite's great again. The end. Like They kind of probably need to do these bold booking maneuvers to establish precedence mm. to like really get something out of the fan base other than um, just great enjoyment and then that's it. Maybe they do need to be a bit more adventurous with their booking. Um, but I just think they're above this. I think they're completely above a meta troll job for tag team titles. Um, and I just didn't like this at all. And again, the sex gods versus the acclaim should have been the direction yeah. because the two wrongs could have made a right. And I think I've just realized... We are going to repeat this, I'm sorry, during the Jericho podcast, yes. but we'll go well deeper into the wider issues surrounding the character. And I think this show now had the same amount of title changes as every Battle of the Belts combined. <laughs> so interesting. Um, yeah, like you said, we'll talk more about the whole Jericho situation a little bit later on today on Get the Table, so make sure you subscribe to What Cool Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, to get that in your feed as soon as it is released. And uh, let us know your thoughts on this show on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch today, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And yes, check out Michael Hamlet's ups and downs for AEW. Uh, for AEW. AEW. On uh, whatculture.com forward slash WWE. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to Michael Hamlet, to Michael Sidgwick, to Adam Blair for taking care of Ladies Night. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.